Uh, coming here um, is always a little bit more emotional for me uh, because uh, this uh, really in some sense is my Egypt. You uh, I, undoubtedly, as you are in this beautiful little town of yours, you see young people um, who are lost and who wander the streets and who are clearly up to things that are no good. Uh, those same kids find themselves uh, down at the grotto and down at inspiration point at times when they probably shouldn't be doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. And you imagine the worst one and you're looking at me. And that is no stretch of any imagination. It was on this hill uh, that the Holy Spirit began to move in my life in very unusual ways. And it didn't start at Idlewild Bible or at the Presbyterian Church. It started at the Catholic Church. But I don't have time to go through these stories. I just needed to let you know that this is part of why I'm a bit more emotional. The last time I spoke here was at the uh, memorial service for our 96-year-old mother. So all kinds of stuff fits this context. And I have far more in my heart to share with you than I have time to share. Uh, but I needed to clear those things out of the way before I started. And if I could pray with you as we begin. Uh, Father, again, uh, probably more for me than anyone else uh, this morning, I, I need to simply stop and once again uh, reaffirm your lordship. In my life. And acknowledge your love for all people. Every broken person, God, that's here which is all of us and every broken person that is outside these walls. But Father, we acknowledge in Jesus' name that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son for everyone. And I'm asking, Holy God, that right now you would uh, guide me uh, for this this congregation in these moments, this service will be different than any other service I've ever spoken at. And so I'm praying that you would lead and direct my steps in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the title of my message, if we can, are, are we ready to go there? Clint, Clint's been such a big help, is uh, <clears throat> what to do when faced with a crisis. I've always enjoyed using humor in my messages, but there's really no humor in this message. I'm finding myself in a place and in a time where I feel as though that God has sovereignly been directing my steps uh, into a new phase of ministry and in a new phase of, uh, of, of me. He's actually 
He's actually remaking me in some way right now, redefining me, my ministry, and the trajectory of my ministry has changed radically out of a crisis. And so I'm sharing with you uh, part of my journey and uh, uh, inviting you into it because you're a part of it as well, whether you actually at this time recognize it or not. I'm going to end up probably for some of you very unintentionally creating a crisis for you this morning. Some of you may have come here in a crisis. We all have crisis, right? We've all lived and we've faced crises. It can be something as simple as a flat tire on an important day uh, to something as big as finding out that you have a condition that cannot be solved. I mean, they take all sizes and shapes, the loss of a spouse, wayward child, you know, a job change, a job loss. It goes on and on and on, doesn't it? You, uh, we face them individually, uh, and we face them corporately. A year ago, all of you this month faced a crisis that caused you all to come together, didn't it? It caused you all, no matter what you believed, no matter where, uh, what you thought, no matter your values, whether you went to church or didn't go to church, you all faced a crisis that caused you to rally in the threat of this beautiful town being destroyed by fire, right? Some crises unite and some crises divide. Isn't that the truth? Now, you and I, as, as the church in this day, seem to think that, that Jesus Christ is only about uniting. And we want to believe that. And we sort of put that under the label of love. But the fact of the matter is it was Jesus himself who said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I came to bring peace upon the earth, but a sword. And then he went on to talk about the fact that he he and his message and his life would actually divide families. And that's where he said those famous words, whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his own cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Those are not words that all the way unite, but those are words that identify the true body of Christ. And so, my brothers and sisters, uh, as as I come here today um, to share with you, I'm going to be sharing with you how the Lord uh, has invited me into a crisis, not one of my own making or your own making, not one that started yesterday or the day before, but one that started back in the garden. You and I have an enemy who is all out committed to destroying any sense of the image of God on the face of this earth. And so I want to share with you uh, to begin with sort of it'll help set the table better than anything that I could do to the reality of what we're facing now. 
you're, you're going to understand that, that, that my message is playing out of the context of Canada, but I want you to know that from my perspective as a dual citizen, I, I have the unique vantage point of actually at this stage in my life working in Canada, pastoring the same church for 22 years, far less than Tim, uh, but uh, living in the United States. <laughs> So I, 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 sort, I, I'm in both worlds on a daily basis, and I watch U.S. news every night. What you're going to see is framed in Canada, but what I want to tell you right here, right now, is it is far stronger, far wider, and far brighter in the United States. We're, we're simply the stepsister who's out in front right now, okay? So... <clears throat> This video that I'm going to share with you will, will help frame the rest of what I'm going to do this morning. As to this crisis, uh, the former president of Denver Seminary, Haddon Robinson, said this. He said, in the past, we as Christ, uh, American Christians always have had home field advantage the larger stadium crowd was either on our side or indifferent to our witness as Christians. All that has changed. Now, we play all our games on enemy turf. A minority is on our side, but the wider culture sits in the stand shouting hateful epithets at us, rejoicing at our losses. In reference to that quotation Erwin Lutzer, the, uh, the pastor emeritus of the famous Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, said this in his fabulous book, The Church in Babylon. I see a church that desperately needs to learn the lessons that the people of God have had to relearn in each generation. We have to be a church that is in some ways, I want you to hear this. We have to be a church that in some ways is repulsive to the world because of our authentic holiness and yet very attractive to the world because of our love and care. We need to be a courageous church at a time of weak knees and carnal living. We have to live lives that are a credit to the gospel that we preach and the Savior we worship. God has humbled us and we must enter into our cultural decline not with a swagger but with humility, brokenness, and transparency. I believe his words articulate well the situation. Friends, I don't need to tell you today that we are in a crisis, do I? Do I need to tell you that the United States and Canada, and in fact, our globe is in a crisis. Do I need to go through the realities of that, the drug epidemics and the suicide rates that are blowing sky high? Mortality has dropped and declined the last three years in a row 
largely because of suicide. And it just goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, I could go through economic instability and the threat of nuclear destruction that we have moved another minute closer in in the atomic clock, right? I, I don't need to tell you these things. It's a reality. But what I have just shown you is is quite possibly one of the greatest threats to civilization that our world has ever known. I do not believe that that's an extreme statement. And yet, as Irwin says, we find ourselves in this place when the church in North America is weak, need, and carnal living. He is talking about me. He is talking about you if you would receive it. And regardless of how righteous we might think we are and how godly we might think we live, I believe, as he says, God has humbled us, and you and I need to receive that and enter into that humility rather than point at others being the problem. You need not point any further than me. As a leader in this generation, this has happened on my watch. And so what do we do when we're faced by a crisis, faced with a crisis of this nature? I would render to you, friends, that the smartest thing that we could possibly do is not look to our scientists or our politicians or our educated ones or our philosophers or our educators or our psychiatrists. I would render to you that we look to the word of God. And that we seek wisdom from the word of God. This book that is being hated by people. This book that is seeking to be banned by people. That you and I seek the sage wisdom of this book. And that is why I have been traveling North America, Canada in particular, across Canada. Preaching the message that Jehoshaphat gave in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. And if you would, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, if you turn with me there, but it's going to be up on the screen for you as well. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Minunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the Dead Sea, it is already in Hazizan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed. Somehow that seems like an awfully tame word for the context of what we've just read. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, maybe I should give you just a little bit of background on the kings of Judah. It it might help you, the kings of Israel. Jehoshaphat, well, first, first of all, let me just note these three little things that, as I said, he was alarmed. But his alarm, and this is the key reality to a crisis, Whenever you get alarmed, whenever you, you know, whenever you become anxious, whenever you become worried in any sense, in any level of a crisis, 
let that serve as the notification, the ding on your watch that might be in your spirit that it is time to inquire of the Lord. Amen? Every time that happens, whether it's something small or whether it's something that's freaking you out because it's as large as what we're talking about, because if you and I don't do that, the level of that weight is just going to actually wipe you out. You've got to come to the Lord. And then, it, then the reality is you saw that he proclaimed a fast, which is something that the church in North America in general has lost doing. And I am saying, friends, you and I need to get back to understanding the discipline of a fast and seeking the Lord because these are times of war spiritually. And we need to use the weapons of our warfare. Now, just, just a quick little bit about Jehoshaphat and a little bit of context in the nation of Israel is that the, the nation of Israel started uh, with the United Kingdom. You're probably more familiar with that, Saul, David, and Solomon. But then it went to the divided kingdom. I'm not going to share what it was about, but, but here's what I want you to know. The kingdom divides into north and south. And then it divides, north is called Israel, the south is called Judah. So typically we, we would get a little more confused with that because we think of this whole area as Israel, but in the divided kingdom it was in the north only. Now here's what I want you to pick up here. In Israel, over the time of the kingdom, okay, there were 19 kings. In Judah there were 20 kings. Now this is what I find rather astounding is that in Israel, in the promised land, the land of God, the land of his choosing, the land of his ordaining, the 19 kings in Israel, there were not a single one of them who sought the Lord and lived for him. I find that astounding. Don't have time to go into that, but I find it astounding. And yet God's sovereign hand was on that land still. In Judah, out of all its kings, there were only eight whose hearts were given to the Lord and actually only three who really came close to doing what God wanted, which had to do with some pretty radical stuff if you read the text. And one of the most radical kings that, that Judah had was a 16-year-old who actually deposed his very own grandmother for her wickedness. Now, this time, as you read about this time, and the reason why I want to even highlight it for you, is that the reason that the prophets came onto the scene and took such a, a bold and prominent position Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, is because God raised them up to try to actually call the kings out and bring them back into alignment with the word of God. Why? Because the kings were leading the people and the nation into darkness and evil, the likes of which was incredible. There was prostitution taking place at the very temple of God. And people believing that it was a spiritual act to have sex as a part of their worship. 
I could go on and on, the evils and the darkness that was going on. It was in this context that God raised up these prophets that you and I have read. And one of them was Isaiah. And Isaiah had these, this call to repentance. And Isaiah is, excuse me, Isaiah is the one who penned these incredible words to the kings of Judah. He said, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Who, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Friends, that was framing what was taking place in the nation of Israel and Judah. And it is what is taking place in the nations of the United States and Canada and many other places around the world. We are again living in the day when Isaiah's words have been fulfilled in our midst. What has made America great is not her freedom. What has made America great is her laws. Laws that we all know were founded upon the very word of God itself. Amen? That's what has made America great. But all that is being changed today, right before our eyes. Could you ever imagine our schools teaching that lying was virtue and teaching our children how to lie? Could you imagine that? Not for a moment. You could not. I know you could not. That stealing was an honorable act and whoever carried it out should be awarded. Adultery, acceptable in cases where true love existed. Could you imagine that being taught? It's all right to commit adultery as long as you really love somebody. Could you ever imagine pedophilia being justified for those who said that they were born that way and they couldn't curb that desire? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine rape being excusable for those who simply said they couldn't help themselves? All those things you would say, that's ludicrous, that's idiotic, that could never happen, that would never happen, right? I don't know that it won't. And what would I base that on? Because you would have never said, those of you that are my age, you would have never said that they would say that you cannot teach 
that they're only men and women and that marriage is only between a man and a woman. And you cannot teach your children that. Do you know that that's what we're fighting right now in Canada? And that in one of our provinces last year, the Christian schools, there's nowhere to hide. Don't, don't think about an alternative route. Our Christian schools were told that they could no longer teach the children that marriage is between a man and a woman exclusively. Or that men and women are all that God created. They could no longer teach that. You see, friends, we have come to the place where the governments of the United States and Canada have deemed lawful what God in his law has deemed sinful. And whenever human beings make sin the rule of the land, sin actually begins to rule over that land. Do you understand that? When you make it the rule of the land, it begins ruling over the land. Are you aware of the fact that Generation X, which was born between uh, the mid-1960s and the 1980s, was the last generation born on a planet where men were men, women were women, and marriage was between a man and a woman. The last generation was born in that time, and everyone born after that has come into a world that has been taught something very, very different and very different from the word of God. How far and how wide has this ideology that gender is fluid and that we now live in a day and a time and an age where you get to pick the gender. In fact, you, you're, you're actually even told you don't even know what gender you are. And being instructed that there are no truly straight people alive, that everyone can find themselves somewhere on this vast scale of the LGBTQ. How far has it gone, friends? Well, this gender ideology, I will show you in green the countries that have fully bought into this teaching and are teaching it. The green represents where it has been fully embraced and where it is being actively taught. Right now in Canada for the last year and a half, federal buildings are now being marked. Schools are being marked. Businesses are actually being marked. People are being identified on the basis of do you accept this ideology, do you promote this ideology or, or not. This is how serious this is getting. I don't need to remind you of a time when people were marked by what they believed and the convictions that they held and how serious that time became. In fact, in Canada, there are groups now, this is one, that their sole reason for existence is identifying people like me and people potentially like you 
who do not fully endorse and or embrace this gender fluid ideology. And while, as I said, Canada is out in front of the parade, if you would, it is my own conviction that the movement is far bigger, far stronger, and far broader here in the United States. In fact, this was in the newspaper last week at a school here in California. In the opening week of school at a middle school, this is a graphic that teaches gender-fluid ideology, explaining away the reality that the biological sex that God actually created you to be does not matter. What matters is what you want to be and what you choose to be, and that can be fluid, meaning that today I could go into this bathroom as a man or a woman and tomorrow make a different choice, and no one could stop me. In fact, you'd be in trouble for trying. The, the amount of confusion that's going on in our world is just enormous. Well, again, getting back to it, what do we do in times where we are so overwhelmed with these, with these crazy realities? Like, who, who would teach a child this? Who would promote this kind of thing? Who would, who would uh, push this kind of reality? What do we do when we don't know what to do when it feels overwhelming? And that's where we go back to the text and take... Wisdom from uh, Jehoshaphat, who, when, when faced with insurmountable odds, these nations gathering against him, he inquires of the Lord, he calls the people to a fast. The people come together in this crisis. And in the text from verses 5 to 12, Jehoshaphat prays this beautiful prayer to the Lord He's remembering and reminding the people and he's reminding God of the great things that he's done. And at the end of his prayer, this, this famous reality of the king who prayed, he says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And, and I want to tell you, friends, if you think you have any power against us right now, if you think that you can just stand up and go, you're mistaken. You are actually mistaken. And then he went on to say, we do not know what to do. And if you think that we know what to do and exactly how to handle this, I don't know that there's a leader alive. But here's the key. Just as in that day, he said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I think that that's where we come back to today. And yet we don't end there. We don't stop there, okay? And neither did he. Okay, so he's, he, he's going to take it further. So the king prays, and he actually prays to the king of kings. And you know what the reality is? The beautiful reality is the king of kings answers. He prays, and he actually gets an answer from God. And what is that answer? This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Right there is the key. Or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Amen? Amen? So here again, if you and I think 
that we're going to, and, and this is one of many, many battles we know and understand, right? This is not, this is not the battle alone, but I would say to you that quite possibly those that uh, I am getting to know that are much brighter and sharper and in higher places than I are saying that this battle quite possibly could be our greatest threat. It threatens our religious liberties. It threatens freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Your Equality Act right now, if passed, will change everything about what happens right here. It couldn't be more serious. And yet we come back to this, knowing that it is God's battle, not our battle, knowing that it is not people that we hate or are against because we don't. We love everyone. We're not trying to change them. They have the freedom to choose what they want to do and live how they want to do, just as you and I do, right? That's not what we're trying to change. What we're battling for is the freedoms that were hard fought for us, which people paid with their life's blood to give us the freedom to meet in this place at this time to to worship the Lord. We worship in freedom, but we allow that of everyone else as well. And that's why there's Jehovah's Witness up the corner and Mormons over here. And in my world, there's Buddhists and Sikhs and, and Muslims and what have you. And I recognize their right to worship in our great countries. Amen? Amen? Well, it goes on. The king's response. He was wise enough. To, look, here's this great king. And what does he do? How does he respond? Then King Jehoshaphat fell to the ground with his face to the earth. And all the peoples of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Humility is such a key here of us recognizing God in our lives. His, the, the, the battle plan that God gave him is perhaps the most unconventional battle plan that has ever been given in history. And after consulting the leaders of the people, he determined that there should be a choir leading the march in the battle, that worship would be predominant, that it wouldn't be about weapons, it would be about worship. And the, the weapons of our warfare as believers are mighty in God, amen? amen? And they do have to do with worship, and they do have to do with prayer. And so at that moment, they began to sing and they praised, and the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to begin fighting among themselves, and they destroyed each other. You know, just for the sake of time, friends, as I'm out of time, I'm not going to rush through the rest of the outline there. I think for the most part you could actually read the verses and fill it in yourself. But this is I'd like to do something a little unusual. Uh, I've been doing this around the uh, er, er, just about everywhere I go. And uh, because essentially what I've been doing is seeking to call the, the church to prayer and repentance. And so I've been leading, along with others, times of fasting and prayer for 21 days in provinces across the nation of Canada for over a year. And we'll be fasting and praying, hopefully together in every province in Canada from October 1st to 21st. 
but it also has to do with repentance. And so as we close, this is what I'd like to ask. Something a little bit unusual. I've written a prayer, and that's why I have it on my phone. I, I, I don't have it out here. If your knees will allow you, and not all of yours will, so don't feel bad. If your knees will allow you, I'm going to invite you to get on your knees right now with me. Would you do that? And as we get on our knees, because what, what we're actually wanting to do, it's a posture of humility. And, and whether we feel humble or not, or feel humbled or not, when we bring our bodies into submission and we, we actually control our gestures, it actually has a significant impact on our spirits and our ability to actually do this. And so I'm praying this prayer for us and for the church in the United States. Jesus, we repent this morning here at IBC for playing it safe. We repent for not opening our mouths. We repent for sitting down when we should have been standing up. We repent for fearing men and wanting favor, their favor more than wanting your favor and fearing you. We repent for not preaching the full counsel of God. We repent for submitting to spiritual correctness and allowing the world to rob us of using biblical language. We repent for the times we have watered down your word or danced around its unadulterated truth in our efforts to not offend. We repent for our idolatry and worshiping numbers and size and equating these things with the evidences of your power and work amongst us. Forgive us, Lord. We repent for our own immoralities as a church for the pornography and the sexual sin that fills our churches in all of North America. We repent for our carnal living and our materialistic hearts. Forgive us, O oh God, for not preaching a life that calls for a total surrender and a death to everything surrounding the flesh. Forgive us for preaching more about success, prosperity, and personal freedom than a life that finds its only purpose, joy and meaning and identity in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Oh, merciful God, please hear our prayer and forgive our sins and the sins of our church and heal our land. In Jesus' name, amen.